Jesus, Father, thank you so much for your love for us. We are thankful for this Christmas season, celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And please, Lord, help us to be uh, filled with gratitude and help us to feel blessed uh, that we are Christians who believe in uh, his coming and also his coming back. And Lord, we pray, especially as we are looking at post-life and especially his background, help us to uh, understand it well and help us to apply it into our life well as well. And you just let me pray. Amen. I have a question for you. Who do you think is the most influential person in the history of Christianity? Answer is Peter, Paul, Jesus. Yes. I said Christianity, right? Christianity means a nation, a kingdom of Christ or nation of Christ. Christ, we're into the community of Christ. Uh, then who do you think is the next most influential person in the history of Christianity? Yeah, it is the Apostle Paul. Ephesians 2.20 says that God's household was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And not only Paul, but also Peter and other 12 apostles and other prophets got used to build his church, and we can be sure that uh, Paul laid more bricks in the foundation of the church than any other apostle. He wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. That is nearly the half of the entire New Testament documents. The book of Acts records the beginning and expansion of the New Testament church and approximately 16 chapters of 28 chapters in Acts focus on Paul. This fact is very significant since Paul is never mentioned in the four Gospels. He just came out of nowhere and then became the main figure in the book of Acts. So another interesting fact is Peter appears about 11 in 11 chapters of the book of Acts, which means actually Paul is more highlighted than Peter even in the book of Acts. The predominance of Paul's presence in the book of Acts indicates that God chose him to be the leading figure in his plan for global mission. And when we combine the 16 chapters of Acts with his letters, Paul is found in nearly one-third of the New Testament documents. So Paul is pretty an important guy uh, when it comes to you know, our understanding of the New Testament. And also, we are continuing our study on Paul's missionary journey. So the subject of our study is world mission and evangelism. And when we talk about the subject of these things, the evangelism and missions, we also must study Paul. Why? Because he's the main figure that used to plan churches throughout, especially, you know, Asia Minor and Western world. So um, last time, to lay the foundation for our series, uh, we learned about the book of Acts itself, you know, how missional it is. The book of Acts is a book about God's passion for world evangelism. And today, we are going to lay another foundation for this series by studying the background of Paul. So we're going to look at Paul before he appears on the scene in the book of Acts. 
So understanding Paul's background will help us to see why God used Paul in the way he did. God chose Paul to be the apostle for the Gentile world, and there were many practical reasons why God chose him to be that. A study on Paul's background will also help us to think about our own background and how God can use our background for the sake of missions and for the furtherance of the gospel. So let's take our Bible and go to Acts 21. That's where we are beginning. And Acts 21, verses 37 through 22, 5, we find Paul, after completing his third missionary journey, he went to the Jerusalem temple to demonstrate to the Jews that he was the observer of the Mosaic law. There are a lot of Jews who hated Paul because he was friends with he was making friends with Gentile people, and then even some apostles were concerned. So they asked Paul to go to the temple and do some mosaic thing, or law, law thing, and then he was doing that. But even some Jews from Asia Minor who hated Paul and even came all the way to Jerusalem to persecute him, and they cited the crowd at the temple by lying to them that Paul brought some Greek people into the temple. So the crowd got mad at Paul and captured him and began to beat him seriously. That's what's going on in chapter 21 in, Acts, uh, in, in the book of Acts. And when Paul was on the brink of death, a Roman commander intervened and delivered, delivered him from the beating of the angry mob. And verse 37, Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? He replied, Can you speak? Greek, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 ascensions out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language or Aramaic, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that the, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death here, this way, the way of Christ, Christianity, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brothers, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. So uh, this is the, the back. The, the Paul is explaining what happened before his conversion, and then he's now about to begin. He's beginning to talk about. He's about to talk about his Damascus experience and encountering the risen Christ. This is going to be our next subject in my next sermon. Uh, but before we launch into our study on Paul's background, I want to briefly talk about uh, about the, the, the thing with his names. We need to clarify uh, about Paul's name. I think Pastor already taught us before 
uh, about this, so I don't, we don't have to spend a whole, whole lot of time. But there are some Christians who think that Paul's name changed when he was converted uh, or when he actually began the missionary journey, the first missionary journey. Because Paul was, you know, Paul is called Saul first, and then later on in Acts 13.9, Luke beginning to use the name Paul for Saul. And this verse says, Saul, who is also Paul. And that's actually Greek text. The Greek text said, Saul, who is also Paul. And this ex short expression indicates that actually Paul didn't change his name. But he was Saul, who is also Paul. What does that mean? He had two names. So Saul was his Hebrew name, and Paul was his Roman name. So Paul belonged to the tribe of Benjamin, and Saul was the first king of Israel from the same tribe. We don't usually name our children Saul. Why? Because of his tragic end. But many Jews in the Bible times didn't mind giving their, that name to their children. For instance, the, the name Saul was the 14th most common name among Jewish males in Palestine during the period between 300 BC and 200 AD. So it was not an uncommon name. So when Paul was active among the Jews, he was mostly called Saul because that was his Hebrew name. But as he's beginning his missionary journey from Antioch to the Asia Minor, he's now beginning to encounter more Greek people and Roman people. And that's why he's beginning to use his name Paul, which is actually a Roman name. And that way, he could be he was able to identify himself as one of the Roman uh, people. And so Paul actually means small or little in Latin. And I'm sure many, many of you have heard, you know, because of that meaning, actually Paul was a very small-statured person with bald-headed, cro you know, crooked nose and things like that. But we all know, you know, there are many people whose last name is Little. Uh, and then there are a lot of Paul Littles. But we know they are, they are Little because one of their ancestors was Little Guy. And that's why they gave him that little name, but it doesn't mean that his ancestors have to be little. So we are not really sure if Paul was a really small guy, but that's the name, meaning of the name Paul in uh, Latin. Uh, so so that's, that's it. And then therefore, what we can con conclude about his names is that he accommodated his names according to his context. This is really, really important. In the Jewish world, he used the name Saul. In the Roman world, he used the name Paul. And I do have two names. If you knew it or not, I have two names. Uh, I have Korean name Younghui, which is really hard for you to pronounce. And so I chose Joseph to be my American name. But actually, Joseph is my name too. Because in my family, everybody calls me Joseph. That is Korean in, uh, for Joseph. Uh, Korean, you know, Joseph in Korean, so Joseph. So uh, actually, when I first came here, I decided to use Joseph as my American name so that you will not have many troubles when you call me. It's kind of a similar idea that Paul had. So when he was traveling among the Roman people, he wanted to be identified with them and for them to call him as one of them. And that's why he was called Paul. So let's start our study on Paul's background. 
in a real way now. And this background study will help us to understand why Paul was used by God in the way he was. So first, let's look at verse 37 of Acts 21. He says, may I speak to you? He replied, the commander replied, can, I, can you speak Greek? And verse 39, but Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. So first thing we have to know about Paul's background is, is that he was a Jew, but who also had Roman citizenship. So Paul was the Jewish Roman citizen. While born in a foreign land, actually Tarsus, I wanted to show you the picture, but Tarsus is um, is uh, above Antioch in the Jerusalem, Antioch, and it, this is the Mediterranean Sea, and you find Tarsus somewhere here in the province of Cilicia. And while born in a foreign land, Paul perceived himself as a Jew, but he was not just a Jew. He was a Hellenistic Jew who understood both worlds of Hellenism and Judaism. And Paul said that Tarsus was not a mean city. It means that it was an important Roman city. One scholar says Tarsus was distinguished from many other cities in Cilicia for several reasons. First, Mark Anthony, who was a great Roman general who ruled Romans, Rome's eastern provinces, declared Tarsus a free Roman city. This status was accompanied by the privilege of self-government and exemption from heavy provincial taxes. So Tarsus was kind of well-to-do and also politically quite free a city. And ancient Tarsus was also a populous and prosperous and important city in its own right. And it had a robust textile industry that produced fabric from flax and goat hair that was used for making tents and other, other items. Is it familiar, tents? You know, that was the profession for Paul. He made tents. How, where did he get it? He got it from Tarsus. His dad taught him how to make tents so that he could live, um, he, he could make, you know, incomes. And probably that's why, you know, his, his Tarsus, you know, flax and goat hair are related, uh, related to tent industry there. And also Tarsus was a center of Greek education. The Greek philosopher Stavro claimed that Tarsus exceeded even Athens and Alexandria in its love for philosophy, and evidenced by the number of its schools of philosophy and rhetoric, which means, you know, Paul probably stayed there up until his age, like 12 or 13, you know, when he passed the Bar Mitzvah. That's the time he went to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel. And so he actually grew up, basically grew up in that city being exposed to these philosophical you know, ideas and rhetoric skills. And what's interesting is actually Paul cites Greek philosophers or poets on three different occasions in his letters. Actually, not just letters, in Acts once and his letters twice. So Acts 17, 28, and 1 Corinthians 15, 33, and Titus 1, 12, he actually cites Greek philosophers or uh, poets, which means he, had, he was familiar with Greek philosophy, and also he was familiar with Greek rhetoric as well. So Paul's ability to speak perfect Greek was a great advantage for his later missions work. 
So while Latin was prominent in the Western Roman Empire, the common language of the Eastern Roman Empire was still Greek. So even in today's text, he was able to grab the attention, in today's text, he was able to grab the attention of the Roman commander by speaking what? Greek. And also, uh, probably because he was speaking perfect Greek. I'm sure there are some, many people who could speak Greek in some ways with the strong accent, but probably he didn't have much accent, like a big accent, but he must have been able to fluent in that language. So Paul traveled through the entire Mediterranean world and proclaimed the message of the gospel in Greek. And of course, he wrote his letters in Greek as well. It seems like Paul spoke more than Greek and Hebrew because he said that he spoke more tongues than the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, 18. His ability to speak many languages made him a good candidate for the office of the apostle to the Gentiles. And as you look at me, <laughs> what am I speaking? This is English. And growing up, I didn't speak English, but I got it, acquired it after coming here after since 2009. And my ability to speak English made me, you know, enabled me to work here as, as your pastor, assistant pastor for Pastor Matt here and also your pastor. And that's, that's it. I mean, you, you see the lively illustration here. What if I couldn't speak English or I could speak English with really, really strong accent? And then none of you would understand what I'm saying when I teach you. It doesn't matter how, how much I love God. It doesn't matter how much I love you. I can't be your pastor. Why? You're not going to understand me. And most likely, if you have a strong accent, it means I don't understand you either. The communication is really, really important. So that's why Paul, God used Paul the way he did, because Paul was able to communicate with so many kinds of people in different languages. So Paul knew the culture and languages of the Roman Empire so well and could utilize it for the furtherance of the gospel throughout his missionary journeys. Yet at the same time, Paul also had a Roman citizenship. This is really important. It was another great advantage Paul had as the apostle for the Gentiles. According to Acts 22, 28, Paul was born as a Roman citizen. It means that either his father or grandfather obtained the citizenship as a Jew. Actually, scholars debate, you know, how his father or his grandfather did it, but we don't really know, so I don't think we're gonna, we have to spend time on that. Uh, but what's important is that he got greatly benefited from being a Roman citizen. The Roman citizen had the right of appeal after a trial, an exemption from imperial duties like mandatory military service, and right to choose between a local and or Roman trial, and protection from uh, degrading forms of punishment like scourging and crucifixion. And eventually, Paul's citizenship right to appeal to Caesar for his trial saved his life from the hands of the angry Jews in Palestine, and brought him to Rome, the center of the Roman Empire. While in Rome, Paul was able to stand before Nero. It is most likely that Paul proclaimed the name of his king, Jesus, in front of this emperor, the king of the Roman Empire, because he was the Roman 
citizen. He was a Roman citizen. And many people argue, you know, how could he prove that he was a Roman uh, citizen? And actually, we have actually a historical uh, document that says actually there was a little bit of like an ID looking thing that they could carry, but not many Roman citizens carried it because it was bulky and kind of hard to carry. But how could they then uh, censor? How could they filter? I mean, whether he's lying or not. The thing is, if you lied that you were Roman Empire, uh, Roman citizen, and then later on you you are found not to be a Roman citizen, you are dead, like a severe in a severe death. It was really big uh, criminal crime uh, in the Roman Empire. So people didn't dare to lie that they were Roman citizens because there was a way for them to find it out. And then if you're found later to be not to be a Roman citizen, then you're going to suffer. Not just being killed instantly, but you're going to suffer. You're gonna, they're going to torture you to death. So that's why actually people just said, I, 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 I mean, I'm, a, I'm a Roman citizen. Everybody kind of believed because why would you risk your life by lying about that? So there's another you know, interesting history, historical fact uh, about his um, Roman citizenship. Okay, uh, and God made Paul born and grew up in the middle of the Greco-Roman culture so that he could understand and reach the people in the Greco-Roman world with the gospel. Yet we still need to remember the fact that Paul was still a Jew first. He says, I'm indeed a Jew born in Tarsus. So secondly, we learned about, in the first, we learned about his Roman citizenship and his being Roman um, person. Yet at the same time, Saul was a Hebrew. So Acts 22, verses 1 through 4, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the silent more, the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. So although Paul was born in Roman city, in the Roman city, and grew up learning Greek language and philosophy, he was a Jew to his bone. So Philippians 3.5, he says, he was, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. So Paul calls himself a Hebrew of, of the Hebrews, or a Hebrew born of Hebrews. The term Hebrew here implies something that is not expressed in the term Israelite. You can say I'm an Israelite. You know, it shows your ethnicity. But actually the term Hebrew carries the, the bigger baggage than the term Israelite. Uh, the Hebrew portrays Paul as a committed Jew whose family resisted the subtle influences of their Gentile government and sought in all matters to remain faithful to the traditions of their fathers. This description also implies that Paul could read, write, and fluently speak the language, language of his ancestors, either Hebrew or Aramaic. The reason why Hebrew were, the reason I say 
either Hebrew or Aramaic is no one knows actually whether Jesus and the apostles spoke Hebrew or Aramaic. But Hebrew and Aramaic are really similar. Uh, so we are in the ballpark. But anyway, the Hebrew means, the term Hebrew means that he could read and speak the language of Israel. The reason is because there are a lot of Jews who couldn't read Hebrew. There are a lot of Jews who couldn't speak Hebrew because they were influenced by other cultures. But Paul was not like that. Although he was at the center of the Greek city, which is, was very influential, but his family was really devoted to the Mosaic law. And they, his parents taught him in the strictest sense that he would remain a Jew or Hebrew. So Paul's devotion to his national and national and religious tradition was genuine without pretense. His zeal and also his parents' zeal for their religion led him to led him move, to move to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel. Probably Paul started, like I said, his rabbinic training uh, at the age of twenty or thirteen, because that's when the Jewish boys typically enter the rabbinic. School and this rabbinic training actually lasted until thirty years old. So for about you know eighteen years, you are just learning and learning and learning and memorizing, memorizing, memorizing. And actually, up until twelve, the Jewish boys were able to cite most of the Old Testament uh, if they were a good student. And among the best students, Paul exceeded, and he was chosen by Gamaliel to be his. Student and eight at the after the age of twelve when he you know, begins to, when he when these boys began their rabbinic training actually they didn't study the Old Testament Torah anymore because they, they already got got them all down. <laughs> what they do is they memorize every word that is coming out of their rabbi. They memorized everything. They lived with the, their rabbi and they just followed him and just try to memorize everything. His master is teach, was teaching them. And Paul was one of them, and he exceeded uh, for sure. So according to Jewish tradition, Gamaliel was the grandson of the great Jewish teacher Hillel, the elder. And he himself was one of the most famous rabbis in the first century Judaism. He held the title Rabban, meaning that he once served as Nazi, which means prince in Hebrew, or the president of the Sanhedrin. You've heard the term Sanhedrin, the Council of the Jews, which means which was actually the Supreme Court in the Jewish society at the time. And uh, Gamaliel once held the presidency of that group. And Paul wasn't just one of Gamaliel's students; he was the best among them. So Galatians 1, 13 and fourteen, Paul says, "For you have heard of my father, of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the Church of God." beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. He says he was exceeded. He exceeded all his colleagues. What does that mean? He was the best student of Gamaliel. And his love for his national, national, uh, national tradition pushed him to the, be the best rabbinic student. It indicates that if Paul continued in Judaism, if he remained in that tradition, he would, would have become the next Nazi of the Sanhedrin, uh, following his master's footsteps. 
And probably, you know, when the Sanhedrin was being held, Saul probably could be present there. You know, some scholars say, you know, Saul was part of the Sanhedrin, but it's not most likely uh, because to be part of the Sanhedrin, you have to be at a certain age. He was too young to be that. But, but some best students of uh, these rabbis who were part of the Sanhedrin, they could be present there with their teachers. And Gamaliel was, was there, right, when they were talking about, you know, what they should do with Peter and John. And Paul, or Saul at the time, must have been present there, listening to you know, his, his teacher, his rabbi, and other rabbis talking about what they should do with these Christians. And also Paul identified himself as a Pharisee, which is the strictest sect of our religion, he says. Uh, we use the term Pharisee as a negative term because of the Bible's portrait of the Pharisaic hypocrisy. Uh, but the Pharisees weren't considered bad people in Paul's days. They were rather good and noble people who strived to maintain the Jewish purity in the land of Israel. While there were many hypocritical people in this sect, uh, there are also some sincere Pharisees who did their best to follow the footsteps of their forefathers. And they really loved God and their tradition. And Paul was one of them. Of, of course, Nicodemus was one of them as well. And so we know there are at least some sincere Pharisees who are trying to follow the way of God. So Paul's love for his nation didn't diminish even a bit, even after becoming the apostle, the Gentiles. Let's go to Romans 9. There's a really important aspect we need to consider. Um, you know, Paul, of course, loved his nation and his people and his tradition. But when, even when he became a Christian, when he became the apostle for Christ, you know, he didn't abandon any of his devotion and love for his nation. Rather, his love for nation got bigger, became bigger, larger than before. Look at verse 1, Romans 9. I tell the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Why? For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brothers. Who are his brothers? My countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. So he still loved his people and his nation a lot to the point that he could he he could be accursed apart from Jesus, you know, being separated from Jesus if they could be saved. It's kind of unfathomable. It's really significant and deep statement here, but we don't have time to you know uh, talk about this aspect. But one thing we, we can be sure is that Paul still loved his people from uh, in his nation among his uh, within his nation. So while traveling around the world to spread the gospel, Paul never lost his heart for his people. This is something we have to learn from Paul. And I take it really seriously. I'm a Korean living in America. There's a reason why I started Korean church. <laughs> you can see it because I love Korean people. I love my nation. And I especially love the people in the North, the people in North Korea who are oppressed you know, significantly, incredibly. And I love them. I want to carry this message to them as well. That's the part of my church plan here. Once this church is being established, I probably need to plan another church somewhere 
and another church until the door into North Korea gets opened. And then with this network that I built, I might be able to go. Or if I'm too old, I might be able to send some other people to North Korea. So that's my, my entire life's you know, direction. And why? Because I love my nation, I love my people, and they need the gospel. And that's what Paul had, and that's something that I want to challenge you as well. You Americans, and some of you Indians, Canadian, uh, is, am I missing anyone? Uh, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm covering pretty much. And so American, Indian, Canadian, Korean, what should we do about our nation? We should feel the same way about our people who are being condemned by the, in their own sin. And we, can, we need to deliver them out of their misery. How? By proclaiming the gospel. And I think many of you, some of you would remember, you know, Suze. Do you remember Suze, the Haitian lady? She actually recently visited us. And when I first came here, she was there, here in this church with her uh, daughter, Suyani. And then she's from Haiti. Haiti. And then the one, one ministry she had was, actually, she was asking Pastor Matt and me to preach. And then there was, she was, wasn't there another translator the, on the other side? And then there was another uh, translator on the other side who was translating our English sermon into their own language. And then Miss Suze was the bridge. Actually, she was contacting, you know, pastors there in her own town and around the around that area, and she was gathering people so that they could listen to the word of God, the gospel. And I really felt so convicted, and at the same time, I was so happy to see her loving her own people. And the same thing for you. You know, you have to love your own people, and that's what the people who have heart of Christ do, and that's what we find in Paul's life as well. So coming back to Paul, we need to remember that his zeal for Judaism caused him to be the greatest enemy of Christianity. So we learned that Paul was the Roman uh, Roman citizen. And second, we learned that he was a Hebrew and Pharisee. And lastly and thirdly, let's learn that Saul, the persecutor of the church. Let's come back to, uh, let's go back to Acts 22, verses five and four and five. He says, I persecuted this way to the, to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. I don't think I have to spend too much time on explaining how Paul persecuted the church. We are all familiar. Paul did everything he could do to stop the spread of Christianity, and he sinned against the God of Israel in doing so. At the end of his missionary career, Paul himself said that he was a formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. That's 1 Timothy 1.13. And Paul was the best weapon that Judaism had against Christianity. He knew the Old Testament from inside out and outside in. And Paul had the rhetorical skills to persuade, Jew, persuade Jews to hate Christians and force Christians to recant their faith. But on the way to Damascus, he encountered the risen Christ, and Judaism's greatest weapon against Christianity suddenly turned into the greatest opponent against Judaism. It was good that God gave Paul grace and made him the apostle to the Gentiles. However, can you imagine 
the guilt Paul felt when he realized that he was going against God, when he thought that he was when he was persecuting and killing Christians for God. He thought he was doing it for God's service. But in the end, you know, he realized that he was going against God. And can you imagine the traumas Paul must have had after conversion? You know, he couldn't remember all the faces, all the tears, all the people who was being stoned to death, including Stephen, and all the other you know, children and wives and moms and dads who are crying, you know, coming after the, the Christians who are being arrested by the people uh, who are with Paul. It's just like, you know, in Russia, now, uh, young men are now being arrested, kind of, by the government and being sent into the, the battlefield. That's what's, that was what happened in front of Saul, and he was at the center of that. He was capturing people, and some of them were stoned to death, and some of them were imprisoned, were imprisoned, and Paul must have had a lot of traumas about his memories. He would have vividly remembered the faces of those who were stoned to death because of him. He would have vividly remembered the tears and moaning of the Christians who lost their fathers, mothers, siblings, and children because of him. So Paul had a past, and it was a big one. But what's amazing about God's grace is that his past didn't become a hindrance to his mission's work. It became a great motivation for his work for world evangelism. So 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, he says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Here are the apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So because Paul made lots of Christians suffer in the past, he could endure Christian suffering more than anyone else. You know, I don't, I'm not going to read it, but in 2 Corinthians 11, you find you know, the persecutions and sufferings and pains he went through. What do, you think he, what, what do you think he was thinking when he was being stoned, when he was fighting the animal, the beast, and when he was being naked, when he was being betrayed his own people? What would he be thinking in his mind? These are the things I've used to do to Christians. So then he must have been reasoning in his mind like this. Okay, Lord, I did this to the Christians. And now these people who don't understand about you are doing it to me. It's, it's fair. <laughs> it's reasonable. Uh, why not me? It's not like why me, but why not me? I did it to other people. Why not me? So his past didn't become a hindrance for his work, but rather it became a great motivation for him to endure more and work harder. And that's something that I share with Paul personally. Once I thought I couldn't be a pastor because I have a past. I have a bad past. So I was actually trying to convince myself that it wasn't that I didn't want to, but I felt that I was, I was disqualified already uh, because of my past. But when I find this grace that Paul received, I realize that God can actually use me. I have a past, and this past has become a greater motivation for me to work harder 
than other people I know. I'm not going to say I'm the greatest in my league, the most hardworking person, but I try to work harder than other people. Why? Because of my past. And some of you might have a past that is not small. Yet this is the word from the Lord tonight. If you have a past and it's haunt you, sometimes, I actually, I, I know that. One time I was so depressed, actually, I was really depressed because of my past. I couldn't even sleep, and I had nightmare, and I was just begging God uh, for his mercy and grace. I know what it feels you know, like to have a past. But at the same time, when the Lord gave me grace, that past became greater motivation for me to work for him and work for the church and even suffer for the church. And the same thing for you. If you feel you have a past, you're not able, you're not you're, you're disqualified. No, you're not disqualified. If God used Paul, if God used me, he can use you as well, regardless of your past. And God's grace is so amazing that he can turn your past into a great motivation to love God more and work harder for him. So Paul was a Hellenistic Jew who had a Roman citizenship, and God used his background for the furtherance of the gospel. And Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews and zealous Pharisee, and God used his background to challenge the Judaism of his day. And Paul was a persecutor, and God used his past to motivate him to work harder than anyone else. What is your background? What is your past? Your background may not be as special as Paul's was. You may not be able to speak several languages like Paul did. You may not be able to travel like Paul did. And you may not have a past like Paul did. But there's one thing that we and Paul share. Paul and we have received the same grace from God. And God can also use our own background and our own education and our own past for the furtherance of the gospel. I know some of you are wondering, hey, Joe, you speak two languages at least. So you can, you can kind of apply it to yourself. But I know many of you speak just one language. But here is, is my challenge for you all and or um, little comfort and encouragement. Uh, if you speak only English, the thing is this. Do you know how many people in the world speak English? There are about 7.8 billion people today. There are 1.4 billion people who speak English fluently in the world. It's more than 15% of the entire world, which means you can communicate with 1.4 million billion people in the whole world with your own language. Just think about it. I know some of you are part of our ESL class, you know, sharing your gift. Uh, the speaking the language of English. That's great. That's one way you can do. But also don't feel that you can be part of world missions. Why? Because the people out there speak your language, and I'm one of them. <laughs> and you can use your ability to speak English in the way Paul did. You can share the gospel with the people. Do you feel that you are an average Joe or average Jane? that has no special background like Paul, <laughs> Paul's, then look around. Uh, there are a bunch of average Joes and Janes in our town, and they also need the gospel. So they are your people as well, American people. And I remember, you know, I'm going to stop here, but uh, uh, I remember when I first, first came to America, I couldn't speak English. I'm, when I say I couldn't, I couldn't. 
It's not like a, I could read actually. I knew some grammar, but I couldn't understand. The first week at my college, Bible college, there was a one week long conference, Bible conference. There's one guy who was crazy. That <laughs> was really crazy preacher, and he just yelled. Uh, it's the same same phrase like a uh, fourteen times. We cannot go to hell. We cannot go to hell. You know, as Christians, we cannot go to hell. He repeated it like a, many, many times. That's the one, one sentence I understood that week, throughout the week. And then I was out there, you know, trying to witness to people with my broken English, and nobody listened to me. So I prayed, Lord, give me the gift of speaking this language. If you give me that, I will not cease to proclaim your name in this language. Here I am. I'm speaking this language. This is not my ability, by the way. It is grace from God that I can speak this language this way. It's not perfect, but I'm getting there. And I want to be the one who shares this gospel with any, as, as many people as possible. And that's what's Paul's mind, and that we all have to have the same mind. Let's pray. Precious Father, thank you so much.